Hello and welcome to another edition of Spotlight, a very special edition of Spotlight. Uh, something very different from the norm, because today we are not talking about an episode of Star Trek, no. a film connected to Star Trek, no. a TV episode with a guest star from Star Trek. Do we have a Star Trek connection at all? Yeah, we do. We do. Yeah, yeah, there are a few. We do. Okay. There are a few. There's always Star Trek connections. You can't fucking get away from the final frontier. <laughs> but today we have a very special episode about a book, a new book, a very exciting book. It is The Last Action Heroes by Empire Editor Nick DeSemlin. And to talk about it, we've got Nick here right now. Hello, sir. Hello. Where? Oh, that's me. <laughs> uh, Yippee-ki-yay. Uh, it's, a very, it's very nice to be back. Thanks for having me back on. That was a very mild manage, Yippee-ki-yay. It was a very Yippee-ki-yay. <laughs> 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 uh, yeah, I'm here. Amazing. And I'm joined by my usual co-host, Matt. Yes, hello, Liam. No Paul today, but we are going to make it through. We've got Nick with us, the author of this fantastic book, which I have read cover to cover. It is brilliant. It is basically the guide to the 80s and 90s Hollywood action heroes. It says, the triumphs, flops, and feuds of Hollywood's kings of carnage. Nick, what inspired you to write this book? It had to be done. Like Conan, it was my destiny. Um, although Conan didn't write a book about eighties action films, but he, you know he went on a quest, and this was mine. <laughs> you were there, but um, yeah, I just it just kind of felt very came together very organically. Like I had interviewed a lot of these guys for Empire, I'd interviewed a lot of the people who worked with them for Empire, and so after I did Wild and Crazy Guys, I was like, what next? And um, it just sort of seemed the obvious thing to do was to sort of stay in that period. I love writing about the eighties. I think um, obviously a lot of great stuff came out of it, but. Just the, the excess in every area in Hollywood and the stuff that got made at that time that probably wouldn't have been made any other time. It just, I wanted to stay mm. and write about it. It's fun, fun. It really movie. feels like a star-making era like none other, really, in both the comedy side and the action side to get those massive kind of personalities and styles come out and really dominate, like, uh, you know, the marquees and, and to be able to, you know, have this moment in time, especially from 80s into 90s, to really just dominate everything they're doing. And it's, it's, were there many comparisons that you found between the comedy heroes and the action heroes, any crossovers that took you by surprise? I think there's only one like true crossover where it's the same story told in both books, but from different point of views. And that's uh, Stallone and Eddie Murphy, who, um, when Stallone married Bridget Nielsen, he was very controlling. He didn't want her to be in any film that he didn't approve but he did let her be in Beverly Hills Cop 2 but then he became convinced that Eddie Murphy was sleeping with her <laughs> so he, apparently Stallone rang this is according to Eddie Murphy in his Playboy interview from the time but apparently Stallone rang him up and accused Eddie Murphy of sleeping with his wife <laughs> and then apparently Eddie Murphy replied down boy <laughs> so that story is like that story is kind of in the book from both perspectives um, was there a bit of crossover there's occasional bits of crossover on the Eddie Murphy tip obviously Beverly Hills Cop ended up becoming Cobra in a way because Stallone was originally meant to do Beverly Hills Cop and then he went mad <laughs> right, as he was wont to do he basically would come into a project and take it over and just control it, no matter whether he was directing or not and so he took Beverly Hills Cop and made it an insane film about axe murderers <laughs> I mean I think we got the best of both worlds yeah. at yeah. the end of the day because we've got Beverly Hills Cop and we got Cobra which <laughs> is the best Terminator sequel that's not Judgment Day did you use unnecessary deadly force I used everything I had do you know you have an attitude problem yeah but it's just a little one you think you would recognize me if you saw him again the tall one one of us will kill you. Do what you have to do to get a lead on this maniac. And if I find him, 
do what you do best. <laughs> it's the correct way to cut a pizza. So, exactly. Yeah. I revisited Cobra recently. It's amazing. And people forget it's frozen pizza. Not only does he cut pizza using scissors, he takes it out of the freezer. <laughs> and you never actually see him eating it. It's just custard. <laughs> but it's, it's one of the best. I mean, it would be amazing if he ate it whilst <laughs> frozen to show how hard he was. Like, I think, like, literally, it's just that space. It's like, it's like you, go, you go to microwave that? No. <laughs> I mean, a, a maniac puts pizza in the fridge to put it in a freezer. That takes true. I mean, he's he's, yeah. I mean, how did he get the scissors from it? Frozen. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I want to know. I like to think there's a much longer version of that scene uh, where we follow him through it. But yeah, um, you know, there were bits of crossover. But I, I think what the the kind of the common uh, sort of the co- the real crossover in terms of the two books is just that these were quite sort of. Um, eccentric people these stars on yeah. both comedy and action and they were given a lot of money to make things and you've got insane things and I don't think that same freedom exists in Hollywood anymore everything is very mm. kind of corporate and it's all about IP And you're How not much just... do you think that is coming from who they were as people versus what the 80s allowed in terms of budgets cocaine <laughs> all, the other, all the rest is it it's a... 98% cocaine I think yeah. maybe it's certainly in the, the case of Jean-Claude Van Damme in his mid-90s <laughs> I watch, I watch Knock Off. Have you guys seen Knock Off? Oh, that's on the list. Haven't seen Knock Off, no. It's the only film, to my knowledge, in which Rob Schneider whips Jean-Claude Van Damme's ass with an eel while they're in a rickshaw competition, <laughs> a rickshaw race. Uh, but, I mean, it could only have been made in the mid-90s. But, yeah, I think that just people, these stars were quite weird people, and they got given total creative freedom, and you just got completely insane films out of it, and, and sometimes joyfully so, and sometimes unwatchably so. Yeah, I mean, it is mental when you look at these careers because I think, I think what's fascinating to me is if you compare them because we'll probably talk a bit about this later, but if you compare them with the current crop of action stars mm. in Hollywood, the younger action stars, uh, the next generation, the choices that these guys would make seem at absolutely wild in comparison to the really safe cookie cutter choices that are made today i mean i literally just watched oscar the other night the uh stallone john landis (laughs) collaboration uh which is a kind of fast comedy all set basically in one location yeah which is i mean it's kind of like play like in many ways where stallone plays a gangster who's trying to reform as a promise to his dying father. Angelo snaps uh, Provolone. <laughs> Provolone, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, literally, and he's just kind of wandering around his house while various different people turn up, including Tim Curry as his elocution teacher, who's quite funny, actually. And Marisa Tomei. Yeah, who's his daughter. It's an amazing cast. Harry but yeah, Sheeran? it's like watching an Oscar Wilde play, but with Stallone, Sylvester Stallone in the middle of it. And it's as insane as that sounds. Uh, yeah, actually. he's absolutely completely mad. But the thing is, what I want to know is could you see The Rock making Oscar today I think you know I think like you know The Rock and Vin Diesel and guys like that they all kind of try it once like you know you've got the pacifier and the two fairy and stuff like that <laughs> yeah. they, they try, try they try like a very mad yeah they just try like <laughs> looking after kids is that in the same cinematic universe those two films I don't know <laughs> why do we not get the team up but um, but yeah they, they would kind of try it and it wouldn't work and then they would kind of not go back and try it again whereas what I admire about Stallone is he tries it it doesn't work and then he just keeps trying <laughs> yeah. it like he, he doesn't like give up with Rhinestone you know he goes 
goes off and makes ten more terrible comedies, and he's like, I'm going to make this work. But they are all really distinct because the fact is, is like you know, Rhinestone is like this musical like comedy. Then Oscar is is completely something else. Like yeah, this weird kind of like yeah, like we have bedroom farce. And then stop or my mum will shoot is indescribable. Like, yeah, so it's it is it is fascinating to kind of see. But to bring it back a little bit, obviously we asked you about your reasons for writing the book, but to really bring it back, can you pinpoint the thing that made you an action movie fan? I don't know if there was a thing, but I have really distinct memories of seeing uh, T2 and Total Recall. I think I was much more of an Arnold guy. Mm, yeah. Stallone, I kind of, there were lots of Stallone uh, like holes in my viewing, and I've since seen everything, even his early porno. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, pretty much job. everything. Fist, Capone, <laughs> like there, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of stuff you have to grit your teeth. Fist was another one of his pornos. <laughs> like, Fist should have been a, yeah, know, it's it's a very boring courtroom drama, but uh, it sounds like it should be a porno. But um, yeah, you know, Ar- Arnold was probably my gateway. I remember going down to Blockbuster or maybe even just my local video store and there was a standee of T2 and um, I would have been, uh, you know, 11 years old when that came out, but I just remember seeing Arnold on that bike and and looking with his shades on and it was so iconic and it was just like there's never been an action star as iconic as that you know, no. Charles Bronson doesn't do doesn't no. have the same effect you know no, Clint Eastwood very cool but Arnold there being a robot with a shotgun it was so cool and, and he was in the early 90s he was just it yeah so. it was the same for me to be honest in terms of I think Arnie as much as I'm a huge Stallone fan now I kind of came to Sly later Arnie was very much the one I grew up with, like, you know, real childhood hero. And I think, if I think about it, it's probably T2 as well. For me, like, the first time I would have seen that would have been, like, I think literally when it premiered on TV. Because mm. I remember it being a really big deal when it premiered on uh, TV, which would have been, like, 94, probably. Like, I think, like, you know, on Terrestrial, I'm talking about, couldn't afford Sky. And, because uh, I actually remember there was, randomly, I remember there was a really big deal about it being edited for TV mm. and stuff like that, like, at the time. And I saw that. I was definitely too young to see it uh, when I caught it on TV. And I... I just remember being blown away. Of course, I grew up in the era, as as did you, Matt, yeah. where you would see film series completely out of order because <laughs> it would just be like, what's on t- coming on TV or what's in the video shop? Yeah. And also, it's that thing of often, this doesn't happen as much now, but a lot of action movies then, the first one would be like 18 and the second one would be like 15. Yeah. So often you'd be like, because you're growing up, you'd be to the video shot, you'd be mm-hmm. able to get the sequel, but not the Yeah, That was the case for me with Terminator, definitely. Like yeah. I saw T2 way before I saw Terminator and I actually yeah. saw Aliens before I saw Alien. So it's kind of like you're building up to seeing the original. Yes. Oh, God, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's going to be hardcore. But yeah, I, there were always. I remember there were always like videotapes floating around. Like someone would have Predator on VHS. Yeah, <laughs> it'd be like this magical item that you would like, you know, occasionally get to put it in the machine and sit there and watch it. And at school, someone had aliens, and so a lot of them, it was like this mm. really magical little object, a physical object with this film on it that when you manage to get it on and there are no <laughs> teachers around and you're watching, you know, uh, yeah, you're watching Aliens. Uh, it's just amazing. It's like magical. T2 again for me is all the same thing. I remember that was one of my first sort of exposures to like horror adjacent stuff as well. The whole the liquid metal through the milk bowl through the mm. through the throat. It's a lot. I remember seeing yeah. I remember seeing that on TV as well when uh, me and my family were like 
on holiday somewhere. I think we stopped off at like some hotel on the road and it was kind of like, I was just trying to go to sleep on like the sofa or whatever because it was a really small hotel and then had the TV on and that was on and it was that scene and we were just pretending to sleep and being like, this is amazing. This is, yeah, I didn't realize anything could be this scary and then eventually this action-packed. I do think Arnie is our kind of entire generation's gateway because I'm like you, I came to Stallone a bit later the sort of run-up to getting into like the Rocky franchise was with you, Liam, and on the on the, sort of on the run-up to Rocky Balboa coming out, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah, but yeah. He feels like the, the seasoned film heads guy, I whereas feel, Arnie is all encompassing. Yeah, I feel like Schwarzenegger travelled better as well. Like, I feel like the Rambo films were gigantic in America, mm. I think, probably cause, mm. partly because of the Vietnam stuff. But I feel like they didn't have as much impact in over here. Like, certainly I didn't watch the Rambo films quite until I was quite old. Yeah, no, I agree, actually. I, I really don't think the... Like, the Rambo films... Are, yeah, I, I mean, it would be interesting to see their kind of, like, UK box office for the time. I'd heard of them when I was, like, growing up, but it was kind of like, you didn't really feel like they were big films, like, when I was growing cause that which obviously seems mad to say now, but they just didn't seem to be within the cultural zeitgeist in the way Arnie's were. Like, the first, like, Stallone films, I think I would watch are things like maybe even, like, Judge Dredd. Yeah. or something like that because that was a huge blockbuster even though it like flopped it was like there was a big build up for it and stuff like that so Rick I Schneider again yeah Schneider, Schneider in the ruining 90s action <laughs> so yeah Sly was totally one I came to later I think it was um, sometime they showed all of the Rocky films like they showed like one a week over like five weeks on like BBC One or something like that on Saturday nights like when I was in my teens and I watched them then and was like, that's when I really was like, oh, okay, I love Sly as well. But yeah, it, it was all about Arnie Grower. He was like a childhood hero. And I think Arnie is one of those ones, he was just bigger than life. Like when you see him, I rewatched Commando the other day. And I think you watch that and it's, it's weird because I watched with my wife and she thought it was terrible. <laughs> and she'd never seen it before and she likes Arnie I mean not she's like, not wrong yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not like she's got something against Arnie but she was just, just like has taste. Yeah, but she was just like no like Arnie's like better than this like this is just trading on his muscles and nothing else and I was just like yeah but that's what it was this is like you've got to understand within the context this is one year after right. the Terminator and he's like coming out fully formed this is the template the one man army like he's got all the one liners and everything so that was so amazing and I was just watching it going this is glorious do you think that he is going to give us any problems you'll do exactly as he's told Last in the way, fellas. You're a funny guy, Sally. That's why I'm going to kill you last. Are you going to tell me what's going on or what? No. Don't disturb my friend. He's dead tired. What are you doing? Helping you get her back. Remember, Sally, when I promised to kill you last? That's what I made you think you did. I lied. I think there's something really unique about Commando. I think it's like the cuddliest action movie. Like it makes me feel really good watching it. Yeah, like, it's just sort of so likable. It's like a sort of goofy guy. <laughs> like you know, John Matrix. Everything about it is as if it's been written by like an eight-year-old boy. It's a Saturday morning um, cartoon, but in live action. Yeah, but the, everyone involved is taking it seriously. Like, it's so ridiculous. The steel drums. Like it's quite unique because like you know it's incredibly violent. 
but yeah. at the same time it's quite lovable and like like amiable well it has the least threatening villain of all time in Bennett yeah. <laughs> yeah. like yeah, yeah. Freddie Mercury on a bad day like yeah, yeah. Well, I've, in- I've interviewed Werner Wells and he, t- he claimed that Arnold was scared of him on the set oh yeah <laughs> I was that like he didn't have a real knife because he was like worried that he might stab him I'm, I'm not sure I believe that but yeah good old Werner Wells I mean he's he is hilarious yeah like, I don't I think mean... he's trying to be yeah, yeah no no <laughs> That's the thing. I don't think it's, but for me, it's like that's all kind of all part of it. Like you, the silliness aspect, the like, opening montage with his daughter. But also just the way Bennett's walking around and he's just like he he's ta- he always talks. <laughs> about John Matrix as if he's like his peer like yeah as if they're like we're, we're two peas in a pod mate like you know, just like and you're like no I just have like Daddy Jim in two weeks yeah, that's yeah, it yeah, yeah I'm like mate you have let yourself go whatever whatever happens he's like, a great uh, villain because he's trying too hard like yeah. a great villain shouldn't have to try at all but it's like no. he is so like come on John come on John <laughs> yeah. I'm going to get you between the balls <laughs> is that the greatest one line written in an 80s action film I'm not going to shoot you between the eyes I'm going to shoot you between the balls <laughs> the thing it's I was just... disappointed by is the colonel guy he never said in my head he says we need you matrix <laughs> at some point he doesn't say that <laughs> like I, mean, I was like literally going this Mandela was... affected yourself into that line yeah well I, maybe it was uh, he's like we need you black dino now more than ever <laughs> I thought it was like that for <laughs> you matrix like uh, but yeah it is incredible I absolutely love it and I think it kind of watching it within that context just solidified what a huge moment in his career that was because Mm. the Terminator is obviously a far better film but in that he is playing you know playing extremely well the deadly emotionless android yeah and one year later it's like he is basically yes of course he would develop he would become a better actor in front of the camera and stuff like that but he is essentially comes out fully formed of who Arnold is. The one-liners, the muscles, the guns, all that kind of stuff. It's it's kind of in there. He is essentially the set playing the same character as he is in like True Lies. It just like developed going, you know, you know? It kind of shows you his limitations slightly as well, in that like they try and give him a love interest with Ray Dawn Chong and it just doesn't work. Like there's, yeah. there's no chemistry. It's like you mentioned True Lies, which is interesting because he kind of does have chemistry with Jamie Lee Curtis. Yes, but in most does, of his films, yeah. when Arnold has like a romantic interest, you just don't buy it at all. Like it just doesn't seem like. Well, isn't there a bit of a thing with all these kind of action stars there? Do you not think? In terms, I mean, Sly. Obviously, there's Adrian in the Rocky movies. Like you know, I think that's that's a, and that's a proper romance. And that works, everything like that. But if you look at all the action stars over the years, there's always a slight Mm. thing, especially as they get older, especially as they get older, where there's a slight weird disconnect with their kind of female leads of, like, the romance doesn't quite work, almost because they are so larger than life. It's like a secondary thing. Like, no one's being Bond here. It's not... Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not going for the seductive tactics, but sometimes they're tacked on. Yeah, I'm blanking on the title, but there's a Chuck Norris film where uh, he invites his love interest around to his house for 
a dinner at 4.30pm and then makes her cook it and it's frozen halibut. <laughs> I think I mentioned this in the book, but it's like, I think he's, he's, he says, I don't eat lunch. Is this <laughs> one of, in Norris's like guide to life, this yeah. is one of his tips. How to invite your date round, 4.30. Make a fish round in the freezer. something for you. I go to bed at 8pm. <laughs> I, went, I, I went to Iceland earlier, love. Yeah, right. uh, yeah, so maybe you're right. I mean, I feel like Van Damme has got quite good chemistry occasionally. You know, yeah, you yeah. Know. JCVD is like slightly more kind of got slightly got more sex romance. appeal, hasn't yeah, it? Yeah, 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 yeah. The, yeah. You know. Um, talking about Chuck Norris, this book I should say covers the careers of Arnold Schwarzenegger, Sylvester Stallone, Jackie Chan, Dolph Lundgren, Bruce Willis, Jean Claude Van Damme, Steven Seagal, and Chuck Norris. And out of these, Chuck Norris and Steven Seagal were definitely the ones that I was the least informed on. Like, Steven Seagal, I'd seen the basics under Siege, like, Executive Decision, like, his most mainstream work. But apart from that, not really. Mm. Chuck Norris, literally, I'd seen him in The Expendables 2. And a few episodes of Walker, Texas Ranger, and have <laughs> you flipped onto Channel 4? Maybe some early Bruce Lee, but apart from that, like, films that were actually Chuck Norris movies, I had not experienced anything. And... I wanted to kind of know what decision process did you go through in choosing these action stars? Because you actually have a passage in the prologue where you name check a bunch of other stars who kind of like are stars who almost made the cut of being the Hollywood actors, but not quite people like Wesley Snipes, uh, Cynthia Rothrock. How did you decide on the seven you've got? Yeah, I've had some people ask, where's Harrison Ford? Where's uh, Mel Gibson? Where's Sigourney Weaver? Like, the, you had to kind of boil it down. And, and my rationale was, it's people who dedicated their lives to action, right? So it's yeah. not people like Harrison Ford who would do an action movie and then they would go off and do a couple of dramas or a legal mm. thriller. Like, these had to be people who transformed their bodies, who dedicated themselves completely to, like, we're going to do action. Bruce Willis, obviously, wasn't quite that, but he had to be in the book because he transformed the action genre so St- St- yeah. St- uh, Stallone and Schwarzenegger had to be in it they're the two big dogs then Bruce Willis who Die Hard is so seminal that although you're right he kind of falls out of it slightly McLean is so iconic that and like you say change the genre that he kind of has to be yeah. there yeah. yeah and he's not in the book a massive amount it would have been nice to have kind of charted him a bit more mm. into, into the 90s but yeah, I put the, the chapter on Die Hard is like right bang in the middle of the book because it's kind of, I see it as before Die Hard and after Die Hard and mm. everything changes once that film comes mm. out, which is incredible that one film kind of does does that. Well, so much becomes Die Hard in a yeah. blank. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. which is another thing you talk about yeah. uh, within the book. Well, because, of course, this is how you mention one of the films that has a Star Trek connection oh. because obviously we have a friend of our podcast called Spotlight of the Movies where we examine a film feature a member of Star Trek alumni either in front or behind the camera and there are three films from the Spotlight of the Movies list which you discuss in some kind of detail in the book and one of them is Toy Soldiers The Regis School for Boys where the country's best families Hey! Bring that back here! Send the world's worst students If you're going to kick me out kick me out They'd make four prep schools in four years You're trying for the Guinness Book of Records? But these boys are in for a real shock. 
If you do not produce my father unharmed, I will begin executing the hostages. I'm sure by now you have discovered who their parents are. Chairman of the Armed Services Committee. Vice Chairman of the Republican Party. What does your father do, William? Contractor. According to this, he owns the third largest construction company in the world. Yeah, he's a contractor. My boys, many of them, they have a real problem with authority. Are you with me or not? Of course we're with you. If you get a shot, we're going to be PO'd. I have the assault force in a staging area five minutes away. You have seen these orange wires. These are wired to explosives. The kid can get the other students out of the line of fire. If any one of these wires is cut, they will explode! This kid has been kicked out of two schools. Well, three schools. Yeah. No, 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 no. That's a detonator. He's got guts. He's a leader. Oh. Billy says he can do it. I gotta believe he can. That's the signal. All right. We're really gonna do this? You bet. Die Hard at School is, of course, Toy Soldiers, starring none other than Will Wheaton. Poor Will Wheaton. Uh, and who is featured probably, I would say, in the most memorable moment in the entire film. It's shocking. Yeah, like genuinely. So for people who haven't seen Toy Soldiers, spoiler alert, it's a siege of a school. South American drug dealers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Led by the eyepatch man from Lost. Yeah. And literally, <laughs> they they take yeah. over. They take over this school, and it's like a kind of it's a weird like posh boarding school, but for like delinquent rich kids. Mm. So we're never gonna feel sorry for them. And they're led <laughs> by Sean Astin, uh, but Will Wheaton's like his number two. And at one point, <laughs> Will Wheaton just randomly loses his shit and manages <laughs> to take out one of the guards and get his, like, Uzi. Like, and he runs outside. All the other kids are there waiting outside. And he just immediately, rather, he doesn't do anything stealthy. He's like, because you take that one guard. He could have got the gun, sort of sidled up Sean Astin and co and gone, right, guys, let's get out of here. But he doesn't. He leaps out like fucking Rambo and literally just starts mowing people down. And, of course, he instantly gets the <laughs> fucking seconds. Yeah, he get he he doesn't have a good time in that scene. He gets no. he gets yeah properly mowed down. But <laughs> it's it's weird because I like before I saw that film from the title and from the logline, I always thought it was going to be like more fun. I always thought it was going to be more a bit pop, yes. pop corny, uh, like yeah. kids in a high school, like you yeah. know. But it's not. It's quite uh, quite grim. And quite serious and quite solemn. Yeah, it's, it's like, like you kind of think it's a bit, bit more home alone maybe. Mm. Like, yeah, like, like uh, uh, Sean Astin set in booby trap. Yeah, yeah, but it's really, like you say, it's really, really not. It's kind of like, it's pretty downbeat and serious. And it also, it doesn't fully go into, like, mental territory. Mm-hmm. I think, like, uh, Daryl, um, Matt, your co-host from Is Paul Dana Okay and formerly Sundog Deep, uh, said in his review on Letterboxd that it's missing one uh, missile launcher at a helicopter <laughs> at the, in the final end sequence. And it's like completely right in terms of it just doesn't quite go over that top yeah. into the proper gonzo action territory. Yeah. Well, it's amazing that it's like, you know, the whole thing of if a infinite monkeys will eventually write Shakespeare sort of thing, that me and Paul came up with this concept before this film. Oh, yeah. No, not before, before we saw it. Because I hadn't heard of this pretty much up until, Liam, when you mentioned it the other day and then I checked it out. But me and Paul are on the co-host. Back when we were in school together, the very first sort of 
scripts we wrote together was this action franchise called Expelled by Force. Uh, and it's literally this. It was all the teachers are the terrorists and they take over the school. Because we just wanted an excuse to like write the deaths of our teachers, apparently. But Paul took it really seriously and he made this amazing blueprint like the map blueprint of the school that was like to scale that we could sort of like you know play around with and be like now what if the characters go to here to here and all of us in our friendship group were the, were the leads as it's kids. like the broadest map <laughs> yeah yeah because we were literally like 13 14 doing this first one and uh yeah paul wrote the first five and, <laughs> and, and, and then i wrote the sixth one wow. but they were a lot of fun and then and it was just die hard in the school and i thought for years after that like how come no one's done this? And apparently they did in 1991 or whatever. There's so. still time to do it again. Yeah. still time. Um, I, yeah, directed by Daniel Petri Jr., who wrote uh, Beverly Hills Cop. So there's another... Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. I don't think I realised he wrote, he wrote Beverly Hills Cop because I think I just looked at what else he directed. It wasn't a yeah, huge amount. He didn't direct a lot, but yeah, he wrote, he wrote, he created Beverly Hills Cop or Stallone did, depending on who you listen to. <laughs> um, he wrote the version of Beverly Hills Cop that doesn't have frozen pizza in. So anyway, so that was Stallone and Schwarzenegger and Bruce Willis and then uh, obviously Dolph Lundgren uh, had like a blaze of glory but then kind of fell off, his career fell off. It's mm. interesting the different trajectories. Some people have real longevity and some people were kind of flush in a pan and then obviously you have to have Van Damme and Seagal the kind of the yin and the yang who absolutely hated each other and that was a lot of fun to, <laughs> to write about how much they hate each other and I got to interview both of them uh, for Empire and, oh wow and ask can you them as about a each other and they, they, yeah that was quite fun can you as a future feature say we're going to get you back singular and then put them in a room like rom-com style <laughs> and be like just ding a bell just trick them yeah they'll have a rematch perhaps the gal end up shitting himself on the floor <laughs> yeah, yeah. it was uh, it was wild like they almost got in a fight at Stallone's mansion in, in Miami which is just an amazing I, I want to see like a, a dramatization of that whole night. <laughs> I mean, there is a hilarious story in the book about Stallone almost getting in a fight with someone at a mansion. Richard, Richard Gere. With Richard Gere. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because apparently, <laughs> I, 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 there's, like I say, I'm a massive Arnie and Stallone fan, but there's lots of oh, stories uh, in this book that I was not aware of. And one of them is random Richard Gere Stallone rivalry, which c- goes way back to Lords of Flatbush, which is one of Stallone's <laughs> first movies, where Gear he's not actually even in the finished film, is he? He's like, it was a he, case of... No, he walked. I think yeah, Stallone, Stallone uh, complained about him and got him off the project. Yeah, but yeah, it was like instant hatred. It involved a mustard, a mustard coming off a hot dog, I think. Um <laughs> But they were both doing a scene in a car and Richard Gere was eating eating something with mustard and Stallone said, hey, watch that. Watch the mustard. And then the mustard <laughs> dripped off Richard Gere's food onto Stallone. It's so ridiculous. And uh, I mean, this is how all, all great rivalries. <laughs> yeah, start. and that's how it... Uh, but this feud went on for... And I didn't know about it really before getting into the research, but I just kept finding like more about this 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 feud between Gear and Stallone that went on for decades. And yeah, they met again at uh, Elton John's mansion in the early 90s. <laughs> And, and, and David Furnish in the middle. Yeah, David Furnish and Princess. It was all about Princess Diana. They were both like trying to chat up Princess <laughs> Diana, and uh, like Stallone ended up storming out of this dinner party and saying, "If I wanted her, I could have her." Post <laughs> 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 your hot dog now. This. Oh, it's uh, Stallone. Still, I got to say, I think I think Stallone was the most fun to write about. Just he's such an odd like mix of things. You know, he's Rambo, but he's also into poetry and a grand poe. He's, he's oh, and painting as well. Painting. Yeah, he's yeah, a sensitive yeah. guy in touch with his emotions, but then he's also just absolutely ridiculous, acting it, like a child. Yeah, it, I mean, he is a weird one. I mean, uh, none more weirder than in the family Stallone. 
uh, the reality TV show, which he is now in for Paramount Plus, which I think we've both been watching, mm. Nick. Mm. We've arranged it. Been great fascination. Day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, although I haven't seen the finale yet, but yeah, he talks in that about he used to he tried to toughen up one of his daughters by uh, telling her that her dolls were possessed <laughs> and jumping out of her wardrobe at her to try to yeah. toughen her up. And I was like, wow, amazing. It, it's bizarre. Well, yeah, making his daughters like, work out at 6am every morning and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of fascinating. And I think in the book, I'm pretty sure you say that you've interviewed everyone in the book apart from Sly. Everyone apart from Sly. So... With with Sly, is that just random? You haven't been, you haven't, haven't come across him, or was he just like, no, I don't want to talk? <laughs> like, um, he was like, I heard you interviewed Richard uh, Gere once. <laughs> like, you, that's it. Like, I have interviewed Richard Gere once, <laughs> and I asked him what he'd had for breakfast, and he answered, and it was a very long answer. Uh, <laughs> it was a bit boring. I think it was uh, granola. <laughs> you have to choose. It's me yeah. or Gear. Maybe you saw that. No, it just hasn't. It just hasn't happened. It's like the others just kind of came. You know, I I went to Shanghai to to meet mm. Jackie Chan, and I went to Texas to meet Chuck Norris, and. Uh, Sigal and Van Damme were on the phone. Lundgren, I've met a few times. Um, he got, I remember Dolph Lundgren came into the Empire office. It was years ago, and it, uh, his visit to the office synced by complete coincidence with a Puss in Boots media drop. So they brought a load of ginger kittens in. So we ended up giving Dolph Lundgren a load of ginger kittens to hold. So I've got a photo of him somewhere just holding kittens. Did he enjoy Looking that? quite confused. I don't, know. He's like, I don't know what's going on. We used to have all kinds of mad stuff. We had goats uh, coming into the... Actually, animals got banned from the Empire office because when men who stare at goats came out, they brought some goats in and they ate the carpet. We've not allowed animals since. So, yes, Stallone's the one I've not met. Uh, but... But Jackie Chan was the latest addition to the book. Actually, he wasn't, okay. he wasn't originally in the book. Oh wow! It was uh, actually a like suggestion from my editor um, in America, who uh, and I, I was originally like, oh, I'm not sure because obviously he's, he wasn't in Hollywood in the '80s. He was off in Hong Kong. But yeah, it actually made real sense, and I think gives the book an extra dimension because he was off making incredible action films. It just felt yeah. wrong to not have the guy behind Police Story and Armor of God and a million other classics, and then. His relationship with Stallone is really interesting. That Stallone was a giant, was a fan of his from from afar, and kind of made his Hollywood career. So there was what, and Chan was a fan of his. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that was really fascinating. That kind of like cross pollination of like you know, like you say, he was kind of admiring him while he was admiring him. Also, I think it it shows that weird kind of disconnect between Hollywood and kind of foreign cinema. You know, to us, we look at Jackie Chan's 80s Hong Kong output and we're like, oh my God, some of the best of the best action ever made. But he was obviously looking to Hollywood, thinking of them as kind of something a bit like above and wanting to reach that. And, you know, of course, ironically, and this often happens when he came to Hollywood the work he did in Hollywood is not as memorable as Mm. his original work. But he certainly did become a Hollywood star because he had massive successes. Rush Hour and the Shanghai Noon, both franchises, both got sequels and everything like that. So, you know, he definitely had massive success in the US. So I think it does make sense. Yeah. And his story is really interesting because it was like the thing he wanted most was to make it in Hollywood. And he tried three times and he failed twice. And then finally, thanks to Stallone, he made it. But then when he got there, like I said, the films were not as good. The way they made films was not the same way they made it in, in Asia. And he was quite disappointed and dissatisfied. So he kind of ended up going back to China. But yeah, it was, you know, he got what he wanted, but it wasn't what he wanted. So yeah, he didn't have the 
Tom Cruise level of power where they would allow you to try and kill yourself on film. <laughs> yeah, kind of thing like he was consistently doing in his Hong Kong movies, which brings us on to another one of the films that was on the spotlight of the movie space, Police Story 3, mm. Super Pop. In the crime capital of the world, where an army of criminals has taken over, there's never a cop around when you need one. But when this cop's around... One is all you need. But now, outnumbered and outgunned, even the toughest of cops could use a little help. Because, of course, it co-stars Michelle Yeoh, who was a regular in Star Trek Discovery, and this also brings me on to another question. Are there people who almost made the cut who who didn't? And Michelle Yeoh was a really interesting one for me because she obviously, like, incredible action star in Hong Kong. But there's two reasons why I was thinking she probably wouldn't make it is she became a star in Hollywood, but not a big action star in terms of, like, Tomorrow Never Dies, amazing Bond girl and everything there, and now everything, everywhere, all at once. But in between there, she's been consistently in films, but never kind of did that action movie star transition. While she was a brilliant action star in Hong Kong, not only was, did, was it kind of regulated to there, but obviously she had a big break for her career because she got married in the late 80s. And at the time... In Hong Kong, if you were a woman and you got married, you were expected to stop your career. Mm-hmm. It was kind of like, oh, you're married now, so now you have to stop working. And so there's like a five-year gap like in her career while she's married. And then suddenly, like, Supercop is sort of like her big mm-hmm. comeback. And obviously in that, she performs literally one of the most dangerous stunts ever captured yeah. on film, which is her driving on top of a moving train mm. on a motorbike. She literally got flies off. It, it, weirdly, that sequence is very reminiscent of the finale of Dead... It's like, it's like a mashup of the finale of Mission Impossible Fallout mm. and Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning, randomly, because you've got the bit where Jackie's hanging off the uh, rope uh, bridge on the helicopter, and then you've got the train sequence yeah. as well. But I can only assume they took some inspiration with, with that. But I was going to say, like, Michelle Yeoh, was she ever in forts or yeah I, kind of like she was making amazing stuff I mean, Criterion uh, collection the app they had a Michelle Yeoh season of all the early Hong Kong stuff and I watched all of it and revisited stuff I hadn't seen yes Madam Cynthia Rothrock you mentioned earlier is yeah. absolutely amazing some of the action is so good but she never really sort of crossed over in the way yeah. these other guys did that, that they were kind of building uh, vehicles around them mm. and making it like to global fame so it mm. wasn't quite the same I mean, obviously, there are so many uh, incredible Asian like action stars, martial artists, and stuff that you could easily write a whole book about celebrating them. But I think, in terms of the context of Hollywood and kind of world cinema, that she never quite, and like you said, she took that big break. Yeah. So she did that, you know, a lot of really amazing action films. They're not really at that level, and then took a break. And mm-hmm. it's only kind of now or recently, you know, obviously with the Bond film, but then everything, everywhere, all at once, that she's kind of yeah. become you know, this incredible action. It's funny, well, yeah, with that same criteria as well, if you're saying, you're looking at people who were consistently doing the action mm. stuff to become action stars, like Michelle Yeoh is very varied, especially from the 90s onwards up till now. And then Cynthia Rothrock, of course, is someone who was very mm. 
uh, embedded in the in the action action world. But I guess there are a lot of those stars who kind of never quite made it to household name, but mm-hmm. who consistently do the work because, you know, again, me and Daryl from Is Born Anyway have been doing this uh, series of fun beer and pizza movie night marathons, not for any podcast reasons, but we did it last summer, we did it this summer, called White Guy Karate Summer, mm-hmm. which is specifically watching sort of trashy karate-based movies from this very specific period, like mid-80s to sort of mid to late 90s, no further, of people who were in this in this sort of boom of action mm-hmm. Martial artists first, actors second. So we're talking stars like Lauren Averton, Jeff Speakman, Billy Blanks, Bolo Young, and Cynthia Rothrock's been in a lot of these. And we've been quite fascinated with diving into all these because so many of them are available on like Tubi or Plex or just straight up YouTube rips. And we've done so many now. We've done about 60 in the two summers so far. Uh, 51, 51, I'll say, on my list. But it's got to the point now where we're like Leo snapping at the screen. You're like, oh my God, it's this random guy that we saw like three films ago in a film that like 300 people have seen a letterbox. And like, we're that entrenched in it now. But Van Damme's maybe the star from the book who's in the most of these, I think, because he's mm. crossing over with like the Blood Sports, Lionheart, No Retreat, No Surrender, Black Eagle, mm. uh, some of his really early stuff as well. Yeah, Black Eagle um, is terrible. Yeah. <laughs> have, so boring. Have you seen many of many of this era's stuff where it's very much like white dudes with ponytails and jeans doing karate? <laughs> yeah, there was a lot of that. My Chuck Norris, I think, epitomizes that. Yeah. It's just like the most American guy who's sort of co-opted like martial arts and is just going around. There's one of his films, um, he plays a local karate instructor who the police in America, in this American city, bring in to help them solve a crime. It makes absolutely no sense. And they're like, there's a serial killer on the loose. We need the karate instructor to come in. I mean, someone could just shoot him. He brings nothing to the table. But yeah, the, I, I, I've delved into that kind of world. And um, It's funny, it kind of came out almost like in the same way that the late 60s had all the spaghetti westerns, like all obviously shooting in the same locales at the same time. It almost got to that point where it felt like there must have been so many of these shooting at the same time, vying for space and putting it out in, a, I guess, like the burgeoning uh, cable and VHS yeah. era as well, where these could really find audiences because you wouldn't get this mass saturation now in the same way. Yeah, I think Bruce Lee had a big uh, part in kind of pushing that to the mainstream and then obviously he, he died and then I think there was just a big vacuum and everyone was trying to kind of fill it in Asia but also in Hollywood. And... Um, yeah, you just got a lot of films where white guys are trying to kick people. And, yeah. Um, yeah, and I, I think obviously things have got a lot more diverse, but that was the period back then, unfortunately. Like, Cynthia Rothrock, there weren't actresses who were yeah. dedicated to action who were getting the same breaks as these guys. Um, but I think that has changed, definitely. And I think, you know, you got Will Smith coming along and then you had an A-list yeah. um, action star who was a person of colour. But, um, yeah, it was very white back then. Well, yeah, you are... Th- this is exactly it. You're kind of constricted by the time period you're covering yeah. because of the fact that, as we say, Michelle Yeoh, you look at what she was achieving in Hong Kong action cinema in the 80s and you think, God, how did she not become a huge Hollywood star? But, of course, because of the era, she just wouldn't have done because yeah. it, everyone was just very much within the straight white male paradigm. Like, even now, there are loads and loads of actresses who do like one action film like really well or a couple and they never seem supported to become like a proper action hero in that way because I was just like I was kind of thinking about like people who have kind of like done one or two like Viola Davis obviously did The Woman King recently mm-hmm. and you kind of like the, all these people are like showing they can do it mm-hmm. and then it's kind of like is she going to do another action film? I don't 
Don't yeah. know. Jennifer Lopez, lot obviously she's just done the mother, got an amazing shape for that, even though that mm-hmm. film has come more of a character drama, it has got action sequences in it, and she's shown she could obviously I suppose the one who really sticks out is Charlie's Fron mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. terms of because obviously Mad Max Fury Road, Atomic Blonde, and the old guard. Yeah. Like she out of every one of like the current crop of big Hollywood actresses seems like the one who's really becoming an actual proper action star. It's like an inverse now where it's like people get maybe award success and then turn their hand to something like action. Like Mm -hmm. all those people Mm -hmm. you say have, you know, Oscar winners and, and it's like, then they go, what else can I do and turn to physically demanding kind of roles? That's an interesting kind of spin where it's like, is this, is action now a playground for the critically acclaimed to have a bit of fun and, um, try and see what sticks or even someone like weirdly emily blunt is an incredible outlier because obviously she for me is like one of the best on-screen action heroines of all time as the full metal bitch in edge of tomorrow the fact that she hasn't really done an action movie since then Kind of like blows my mind. Like, like Cruise, come on. Like the film, the, the film, the, the predator. <laughs> like I mean, that's the thing. Like you know, it's like yeah, Dwayne the Rock Johnson would probably said no, 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 you can't take any of the shine <laughs> off me doing any action. The thing is, the thing is that like nowadays, because you can do anything with CG, and anyone can be an action star. Like literally anyone. Like yeah. you could probably put me in a film and make me look like <laughs> I could kick someone. But you know, they it's like less easy to believe that someone actually can do any of this stuff whereas I think back then you kind of you saw people doing stuff and it was impressive watching Seagal you know he couldn't act and he was completely charmless but he could do moves yeah and yeah, so no, could, that was enough for people that you just watch this man in a bar kicking the shit out of people and you're like wow okay all right. which I literally did <laughs> last night watching Out for Justice where there is a barroom brawl in that which is pretty great because like I say Seagal Norris well, the two I'd seen the least of, and I watched a bunch of Scal's movies for this. And we were talking about this, weren't we, Matt? In terms of, weirdly, I think his best film <laughs> is probably Executive Decision. Right. In, in terms of, which obviously he's in the least, because, spoiler, he dies early on. But, I mean, that was, you've got a section in book that actually talks about this, about how they convinced him to do that this kind of shock twist early on death where he would be introduced as obviously the big action star of the show and then about 40 minutes in he would sacrifice his life so Kurt Russell the more unconventional hero can live and I actually think in that he's really well utilized because he's used very sparingly yeah but actually, he makes an impression. Just the fact he's come by that point, he was an iconic action star. And it just by having him there in these small little bits, you go, oh, yeah, it's, it's a guy. This is kind of, you get everything that you need from him. And then when he gets his like heroic sacrifice, that sequence is actually genuinely really intense. I do wonder if Deep Blue Sea were inspired by that. You know, the scene where Samuel L. Jackson suddenly gets eaten and then you're like, holy mm. shit, like, they yeah. can't kill Samuel yeah, L. Jackson yeah, yeah, yeah. at this point in the film. And it's the same. They were like, really, whoever came up with that idea 
was very clever. They're like using his screen image as this guy who's too arrogant to ever get. I mean, forget being killed. Like Seagal never gets hit on screen. Like what? you watch, like you know, a Die Hard thing or a Schwarzenegger or Stallone, and they're getting pummeled and they're bloody. But you watch Seagal's and he's just walking around, and breaking <laughs> sweat. Like no one can get a hand on him. And then to actually kill him was huge. Yeah. Yes. Well, I mean, so, I, yeah. I, I I had seen Under Siege before, but I had a first time viewing of Under Siege too. And it's like way to undercut a big dramatic moment because that finale, like the train crash at the end, genuinely really cool. Like, I guess that's loaded miniatures and and stuff but there's that sort of hero shot of the train exploding and Seagal running away from it and he's just like doing a little jog and his face is just nothing he looks very strange when he runs if you go to YouTube you can find there are like people have done super cuts of Seagal running and it's very unnerving yeah it's like watching Ron DeSantis trying to laugh uh, in, in a natural way, I know that he runs in um, on executive decision when he's he's kind of like running over from a helicopter. So he like sort runs, like, he, he runs a bit like Phoebe in Friends. Like uh, <laughs> yeah, it's just like, it's really 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 odd. But yeah, I do think he actually works that. And like you say, like at the time that would have been. I, I randomly remember seeing executive decision on TV back in the day, and that did seem like a big. It was on the Deal. post. Uh, it was all misdirection. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It was like, yeah. come and see a Seagal movie. And now that's been done loads. Yeah. In loads of things as a kind of like shot. And yeah, I think they pulled it off really well. So kind of weirdly, I think he works the best in that. Although, like I say, I did watch Out for Justice. And Out for Justice, I actually enjoyed. I thought it was good. And a lot of that is to do with the direction by John Flynn, director of The Outfit and Rolling Thunder in yes. the 70s like who's a genuinely really good gritty filmmaker and I think you can actually feel his fingerprints on it like Seagal actually feels like he's playing an actual character yeah. in it uh, Gino friend to everyone but also it is fucking horrifically violent yeah. like literally horror movie yeah. level like yeah. some of the like woos I heard apparently it was originally edited hardcore for the UK release and then come out uncut on DVD I, I think that's part of the enjoyment of it. It genuinely feels like... And the bad guy is a coked-up, insane yeah. motherfucker. Like, he's just going around, like, murking people yeah, left, right, yeah, and centre. Yeah, yeah. But at the same time, what is hilarious about it is it totally exemplifies exactly what you talk about. The final fight between them. Obviously, you'd think, oh, it's building up to the big fight between Seagal and the main villain. Like, this is the guy who's actually going to challenge him. <laughs> Like, literally, I don't think he lands one punch. Like literally, the the final big fight between him and Scout is he walks in, Scout beats the living shit out of him. Like literally, just throws him around a room for about ten minutes. Like the guy tries to chuck a bookcase at him. Like that's about all he gets. Yeah, like, it just gets it out of bad. It's kind of the same thing in the, at the end of Under Siege when he has that amazing knife fight with Tommy Lee Jones, yeah. and he's just like playing with him. He's like, and he's tormenting him, and you're like, holy shit! It's like, is this guy the bad guy? Like, <laughs> so you got the heroes, quite sadistic. Like, that's quite. And I think Seagal very deliberately like cultivated that air of danger around himself. I love you to know, see behind the scenes if some of the director was just like, so how about in this bit you getting a bit bitten? <laughs> Breaks his arm. Well, okay. yeah, he's 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 actually like the original big Vin yeah. and Dwayne the Rock Johnson, isn't he? When they've got it in their contracts that they won't yeah. get hit. I mean, I think Seagal didn't need it in his contract. He just was like, no, and by the way, I'm gonna call my mates in the CIA. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, call my Black like, uh, I mean, yeah. that's uh, like I say, Seagal. I knew nothing of his off-screen persona apart from. You know the the allegations and such like that with someone like Scal. Like I didn't really know anything about his origins, and I think the fact that his first film, his debut, 
is above the law, a major action movie starring him, directed by Andrew Davis, where he comes out, I mean, we were talking about Arnie being fully formed with Commando, but he's still got, you know, 15 years of bodybuilding and other film projects yeah. before then. Whereas Seagal is literally out the gate, just like, I'm here, well, he that's was, it. He was like a martial arts instructor. He was like training people in Hollywood. Yeah. Like, that's what he did. And, you know, he was training Sean Connery and broke his wrist. He was like a fitness instructor kind of guy. And then he gets put in a giant Warner Brothers movie. It's so insane. But, but he's that, it's mad, isn't it? In terms of you think like, because you kind of go into how he managed to inveigle himself in there and get that because... That feels like that's never been repeated. Well, it's that fast. No, it's completely unique, I think. And the more you delve into it, the stranger it gets. You think it's going to make sense at some point. But no, it's <laughs> this weird like blurring of, of mythology and reality. And you can't tell where reality stops or starts with Seagal. Because it's like his films, he's kind of playing himself or he's claiming he's playing himself. Yeah. In Above and... the Law, there's that whole... The, the opening sequence is a kind of voiceover from him. And it actually shows like photos and stuff like that. And for a second, you'd be fooled into thinking it's like... Docu-drama. Is his debut a biopic? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's what it feels like <laughs> yeah, because yeah, he, the things he's talking about are the things he claimed to have happened to him in real life. I was born in Palermo, Sicily. Came to this country when I was seven. We immigrated to Chicago. We were always raised to be very patriotic, to love our country, and we did. When I was a little boy, my father took me to a baseball game. They had a martial arts demonstration out there, and I saw this little old Japanese man doing things that I thought were magical, and uh, developed a crazy dream to go to the Far East. And by the time I was 17, I was there, studying with the masters. working for the CIA secretly, like going off to like Japan, yeah. training martial arts. That's all what he actually claims. So you're kind of like, oh, this is sort of his life yeah. on screen like, as he that's says. I mean, that's the 80s, right? Because yeah. today, wouldn't that be like somebody's driver gets caught up? Like, I'm giving you a three-picture deal with Warner. It's like, off you go. Yeah. You yeah. are the star. Like, huh? Okay. Well, it feels like now, like people could find out, like track down his history a lot more easily. There's a bit in the book where you talk about him meeting with the writers of Executive yeah. Decision. And he literally, and this is like, you know, 10 years into his like career. And he's like, literally sits down and goes, yeah, all right, that's just been our top secret mission for the CIA. Don't mention it. Anyway, back to your script. Like, <laughs> yeah, they're like, what did you do at the weekend, Stephen? He's like, can't tell you, that's uh, classified intel. And puts his loaded gun down. And thinking, what the hell is going on? But yeah, it's mad. Like the more, and like everyone has these stories. It's just like, he's consistently like that. It's not just like the older one. But yeah, he was, I gotta say, he was, he was an amazing fun to write about and um yeah his 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 career at trajectory is so mad that he starts off so successful becomes even huger under siege and then and then just the the drop off mm. with after uh, on deadly ground where yeah a film and i've got to say on deadly ground is a film i knew nothing about and getting the story behind that i mean i, I would genuinely say it's worth buying the book for that alone the chapter on on deadly ground but yeah the story's a while he plays an eco warrior called forest he, he said to the screenwriters let's change the character name to forest <laughs> literally like an environmental activist more fitting with my personality um, he was like the james cromwell of his day <laughs> yeah he's yeah. like refit the character but oh yeah just the, the unbridled narcissism of getting all the you know like stallone he would kind of inveigle himself into the writing process and then he would get like them to write dialogue for the villains talking about his character like complimenting him delve down into the deepest bowels of your soul 
try to imagine the ultimate fucking nightmare. And that won't come close to this son of a bitch. This is him directing on Deadly Ground. Yeah, well, he, yeah. he directed. So he basically, this was him cashing in all his Hollywood chips to basically do his... Because he was quite... The, the budget ended up being quite big for the time, didn't it? Well, the cast here is he, Michael Caine, John C. McGinley, Ali Ermey, Billy Bob Thornton, yeah, Mike cast. Starr, and Michael Jai White, both from Black Dynamite. Wow. Louise Fletcher is in this thing? Yeah, and he just... He took it over, and there was, like... You know, there was a, a sort of uh, a dream sequence with a Native American... You know, there's a Native American tribe in there, and he rewrote the sequence so all the women would be topless. <laughs> and just turns this, like, quite, like, serious script about you know the Inuit people into into a trashy sort of sleazy film but yeah he he baked well, he took on deadly ground because he wanted to piss off Clint Eastwood basically like Clint Eastwood wanted to do it and he was just you know he he's got a rivalry with everyone like, yeah he, you know Seagal and Stallone, uh, Schwarzenegger and Stallone had their feud going but which was very intense but with Seagal it was literally everyone he just wanted to piss off everyone I, uh, I love the connections between all of them I've got to say that was that was probably the biggest joy of writing the book is just yes. finding the weird connections like finding out that Chuck Norris and Jackie Chan like sat next to each other in this Chinese award ceremony quite early on in their careers and Chuck Norris couldn't speak Chinese, so Jackie Chan was translating for him, or finding out that Van Damme would only be killed by Stallone in a movie. It was the only person that he'd let kill him. Yeah, and he, you know, spoiler, in Expendables 2, yeah. it happens. It happens. Stallone! <laughs> John Villan. Yeah. I still, I still hope he comes back as Claude Villan, and as his twin brother Claude. Uh, yeah, 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 It's yeah. got to happen. I hope so, definitely. Maybe. I like him in Expendables 2. Yeah, yeah, yeah I think it's great. Now what? We're both fighting men. And I respect that. And fighting men, they don't deserve to be killed like sheep. But... Respect must be taught. Okay, I've got to ask, who is your personal favourite of these last action heroes? Can you choose? To watch on screen. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess you're the one you hold most dear. I mean, the one who I had the most fun meeting and talking to was Van Damme, just because what? everything he says is gold and hilarious <laughs> and mad. And he told me about that he only likes to sleep three or four hours a night because he sniffs the air like a dog. And just constantly just saying madness. What was it? He told me uh, that his, his philosophy for combat was face of a snake, body of a panther. <laughs> that's the JCVD way that was his he is an incredible interview I've read interviews with Van Damme obviously he's got some great quotes in this but I, I've just read random interviews with him where he just always just sounds like borderline insane but in a great amiably, way amiably yeah yeah yeah, yeah. And, like in a funny way yeah and, and kind of like pathologically candid and sincere and genuine yeah. like I don't think he can tell a lie in the same way I don't think Seagal could not tell a lie they're diametrically opposed like one of them is all shadows and mystery and then the other one is just telling you too way too much sharing way too much information but yeah on screen it's got the Arnold it's a boring answer but you can't be watching he's the ultimate isn't he you can't be watching an Arnold movie I mean even something like Raw Deal or Red Heat, one of his kind of lesser 80s movies. That's the Raw Deal, which I watched for the first time for this podcast, because Raw Deal was the only 80s movie of Arnold's I hadn't seen. Like, because, like I said, I was a huge fan of his growing up. So really, really with Arnie, there's not much left for me to see. And I was looking through being like, I've got to find something I haven't seen that's like an action movie 
with and I was like, oh shit, I've never seen Raw Deal. And because it's not really talked about much, the people who have seen it don't talk about it in a nice way. Uh, I remember Paul years ago. I think I, I discovered it, and Paul was like, "Oh, it's rubbish! Like, don't bother that kind of thing." Like, you know. And I was like, no, I'm going to watch it for this. And Studio Canal recently released a really lovely Blu-ray transfer of it. And you know what? I really enjoyed it. Mm. Like, in terms of... Because for me, I enjoyed it as a curio because what's fascinating is it comes after Commando, before Predator, in the middle in 1986. So he's already a superstar. On the poster, it has Schwarzenegger. Because I think he's already that big. But you feel... Like, it should have come maybe in between the two Conans yeah. or just after Conan Destroyer. Mm-hmm. It feels like it would have come before or the same year as the Terminator because it feels like a, it feels like a canon movie. It's yeah. Dino Delantris, but, like, um, it feels like a canon film. And the kind of thing that Charles Bronson would maybe yeah. be in. And that is kind of fascinating to me because you get to see him do something that you didn't see him do in other films. And it's a really, it gets really bloody. Yeah, it becomes a real bloodbath movie. He's playing like a pretty like morally vacant character. He's kind of going undercover as a gangster. And at one point, he's like, "Oh, like if I kill people, is it okay?" Like, so he's the handler or something. Like, he's like, oh, yeah, don't worry about it." Like, uh, and uh, he like shoots people in the back, all kinds of stuff. But it's also got a real slight madcap. NG is like really violent, but it's also got a touch of the Italian police uh, movies of the 70s, like things like Live Like a Cop, Die Like a Man, where it's really like mad. Like at one point, he like blows the main bad guy away, and then he grabs a big bucket of sweets and pulls it over. <laughs> like he's just like, why? But I did really have fun with it. So I, you know, I watched it two years ago. Hey, I gave it two stars. Well, you're wrong. You <laughs> add it, notch it up an extra I'll star. Red Heat. If you're going to talk uh-huh. about two word Arnold films beginning with the letter R, I'll take Red Heat. God, them. <laughs> they're all so silly like there's no such thing as like a serious solemn Arnold there's always some goofy madness there's always him ripping off someone's prosthetic leg and pouring coke out of it and yeah or, or wanting to rip someone's arm off and hit them yeah. with it like yeah, in yeah, the yeah. outtake his, his, dr- his big dream his career long dream and can't, can't, it happens in Kung Fury too but Which isn't come out. out. <laughs> yeah. I'm and, we'll, this... and we'll never come out. Like... Waiting... Yeah, apparently it's some legal woes, but it's Michael Fassbender and Arnold. Is that what it is? Is that what's keeping it? Apparently it's some legal problems, but it's been filmed. It's got Arnold as the president. He fights Hitler uh, using Conan's sword at one point. Um, and Michael <laughs> Fassbender's got a major role in it. Um, it's interesting because I was one of the few people who wasn't blown away by Kung Fury. I was one of the few people who was kind of like, eh, it's fine. Like, going, like you know. But a lot of people obviously thought it was yeah. amazing, and, and that's. It. But I feel like I was already finding the short, like stretched yeah. out. So, yeah, when that film finally comes, yeah, like, I don't, I don't, I don't know. It's the film where Arnold rips off, finally rips off someone's yeah, he finally arm, gets off of it. There you go. It, it, it was all worth it. So come on, hurry up! I will sort the legal ways out myself. Okay. But you say you've seen most of Arnold's films. Have you seen the film he directed in 1992? Christmas, Christmas in Connecticut. Connecticut. The remake of the like, the 40s film. No, film. no, I have not. But I did discover... It's a TV movie, isn't it? It's a TV movie. Yeah, it's a TV movie. And also because he also directed a Tales of the Crypt episode, I think. Mm. I wish I'd got into this in the book, actually. It's one of my regrets. <laughs> I wish I'd got into Arnold's short-lived directorial uh, career. 
in the early 90s. Well, where... you can come back on and talk about Tales of the Crypt because oh, yeah. there's definitely episodes with Star Trek connections. Oh, like, we could just do the art of Tales of the Crypt. Stephen D'Souza directed a really good episode of that. Yeah. The Clacklin and the Vulture. But yeah, I think, uh, I think I've seen all of Arnold's films. Uh, no, I haven't seen the one where he plays a depressed airport radar guy. What's that one called? Oh, oh Aftermath. I was actually, because me and Matt watched that together. I was like kind of looking through these action stars. And I was kind of thinking, what's their best film? What's their most underrated film? Mm. And what's their hidden gem? Mm, okay. And for me, with Arnie, Aftermath is the hidden gem. Right. Yeah. Because he, I think he's genuinely really excellent in it, acting-wise. It's kind of semi-based on a true story, but I think they sort of play around with the facts by the end. The airplane that your wife and daughter were traveling in has had a very unfortunate accident. It is the worst news that anyone will ever receive. How do you feel after what happened? You hold yourself responsible. To guarantee your safety for you and your family, consider making a change. A radical change. Another home. Another name. Another life. The company agrees to pay you damages in the amount of $75,000 for your daughter's death, $85,000 for your wife's. Look at this photo. I would like for someone to say that they're sorry for killing my family. I found him. I just want to look him in the eye. Show him a photograph of my family. I want him to apologize. No one has said they're sorry. No one. It's really, really serious and somber and yeah. intense. And Arnie's genuinely really Yeah, good. he is. It's, it's on Prime right now. I always got it confused in my head with Maggie, Maggie completely yeah. different type of film. Which is also good. Yeah. Zombie, but the, yeah. the posters are very similar in sort of that dull grey. Well, he looks similar because he's got the beard and everything. Yeah, very good there. That was a really interesting phase he did where those films yeah. didn't make any money, otherwise he might have carried on doing stuff. I completely agree. I think when he came back after being the governor later, he made some genuinely really interesting choices. I think if you look at those films, like pretty much every movie he's making, apart from like The Expendables films, Escape Plan, and Escape Plan, every film is sort of something different. Yeah. Like The Last Stand, yeah. uh, which I, again, we saw together yeah. and really enjoy. He's got real kinetic action in that. Aftermath, Maggie. Like he's trying some really different things. And I kind of thought that was just really cool. Yeah, it was. Like he kind of took the chances that weirdly. Stallone often refuses to take now even though I did enjoy Tulsa King his like gangster drama on TV movie wise I was kind of blown away that he didn't take all the cred he earned off Creed and just do loads of really interesting stuff. Sort of got inverted, because Stallone, I think, in the first half of his career, did all the interesting eccentric yeah. choices, whereas mm. Arnold was very like, I'm going to make another Schwarzenegger movie. <laughs> yeah. So he kept kind of going and doing his thing. And now you're right, like Arnold has kind of been more experimental. Uh, Stallone, um, you know, I heard him on a podcast recently talking about how Copland really hurt him, because he took so little money for it. Like, he slashed his salary way yeah. down. And then basically it really hurt him. That the action people were like, well, God, see it. And it's you mad because that is one of his best films. Actually, funny enough, with Stallone, I'd weirdly say his hidden gem is Copland, but not Copland just as a film. But 
the actual director's cut because so many times I hear people talk about Copland. They go, oh yeah, it's almost a classic movie if it wasn't for this, this and this. And I'm like, you're watching the theatrical cut because mm. that's not in the direct And the director's cut that Chase Mangold did because obviously it was one of the ones that Weinstein went scissor hands on. The director's cut is fantastic right. and genuinely like a com- far, far superior film to the theatrical. The theatrical cut is still good. Yeah, it's still good. So the director's cut, he kind of tells you yeah. how much it... For me, it's like I heard um fantastic podcast, The Rewatchables. Bill Simmons actually mentioned your book on there the I other day. That. Let's say, yeah, The Rewatchables. They did Copland and it was obvious they watched in the theatrical and I was like, God, get the fucking director's cut on. <laughs> like, yeah, because it is so, so good and you can, you can still get it on DVD. So I say, if you are going to watch Copland for the first time, please hunt down. Wait till you see the director's cut of On Deadly Ground. (laughs) (laughs) I'm pretty sure that's Seagal's cut. The the PowerPoint presentation (laughs) at the end lasted 25 minutes. I mean, I heard he had final cut on that one. So uh, I think that's that's fine. Uh, Have you got a favourite Arnie movie? Favourite Arnie movie? Um, I mean, it's going to be Terminator 2. Again, it's a little bit boring. I just think it's a perfect film. Um, I think you're right. I I prefer it to the original. I know there's like different points of view on that. For oh. me, it's no contest. I think that it's no, it's, contest. It's no contest. See, I'm a T1 truther. T2 <laughs> is you know masterpiece as well. I think they're T1 both masterpieces. A little more pure. I think they are his two five star films. Yeah. I think they're both incredible. And I must admit, for me, there is a contest because I flipped between them before. I think at the moment I am like, as much as I adore the Terminator, I think Terminator 2 is just a little bit more... It's difficult because the Terminator, obviously, you can't help give it so much credit for what he, Cameron, achieved on this low budget because it's just, you watch it, and you're like, you look at the budget it was made for, and you're like, oh my god! It's one of those movies you look at, and you go, no one has got any fucking excuse. Like these fucking cunts who make like three hundred million <laughs> films today, and they look like fucking garbage. Yeah, like you go, you haven't got an excuse. Street level yeah, yeah, yeah. And ca- that's what Cameron did with that much money, and it's just like, wow, <laughs> just the energy. But T two, Cameron did this in a cave with a box of scraps. <laughs> but T two. He really, that is an example yeah. of him getting, you know, at the time, it was the highest budget film of all time when it came out. And that is itself someone taking that and it's actually like the, putting it all on screen. It's like the ultimate ride. The last half hour. I love a car chase where they get into different vehicles halfway through. Yeah. And I think they're just switching vehicles and just, it's so much fun. So great. But you say it's the ultimate ride. Would you not say the actual ultimate <laughs> ride is T2 3D at Universal Studios? <laughs> <laughs> which I did, which I, did, I did with uh, my colleague Chris Hewitt in uh, Tokyo when we went to... Oh, incredible. We went there and that, that was amazing. And apparently I was reading up on it recently and apparently they had the actual cast there when they opened it for the first time in America. The first time anyone saw it, they had the actual cast. Arnie and Robert God. Patrick and Edward Furlong were actually doing that. Can you imagine being there for that? <laughs> Just it would be even insane. better than going to Waterworld the experience. Yeah, and I have... <laughs> <laughs> been to Waterworld the series and it was incredible what's like, Kevin Costner uh, doing the Mariner uh, and Costner was not he was all the better for his absence <laughs> yeah, I've got to be honest the Waterworld such a is one of the most amazing things I've ever seen in my yeah. life when are they going to do an on deadly ground like interactive <laughs> I mean you know Waterworld flopped like so I mean yeah. you know there's no reason and they made a success out of that <laughs> so you know there's no reason they can't do the same with on deadly ground that's what I say obviously yeah we've talked about your personal favourite action stuff but also we did kind of mentioned this a little bit earlier new action movie stars I was just about to say who's yeah who do you think is the 
bright hopes for the future. And like really new, maybe we haven't even seen it much yet. If you count like your Rock and your Vin and your Fast Crew as the current, who's like the next next generation? It's weird, isn't it? Because it's just like Does a it load exist? of sixty year old. Like when you go to the yeah. cinema and watch an action movie, it's like John Wick or Mission Impossible. So you just got like these <laughs> same people who were doing it in the eighties. <laughs> yeah. um, it's weird. Like Tom Cruise's career is so odd because normally people start off as a pure action star and then they become a character. You know, they branch off into drama. Yeah, he's got the he's got the other way around like he wasn't in the 80s he was not an action star and now at 60 he is um it's a really interesting question I don't know I don't know if there is like just is, because, is there, because is there of all the, the superhero stuff I don't know if there is like that's a, true that kind of dilutes Chris, it Chris Hemsworth it? kind of is but I don't know if I'm on the Chris Hemsworth train I don't know if I'm that excited about the Extraction films I've is, watched have them. you seen Extraction 2? yeah well I haven't seen it yet do you think a lot of people I were just, hyped about that I don't... the action's good Look, there's some good definitely some good choreography and some good kills but for me it's not mm. he hasn't got the, mm. the the thing that transcends it is there someone else it's not the personality that you get in like an art and commando or, yeah, yeah. Or, you know, a, I mean, a hot take. I think his wife's got it now. Like, there's a Elsa uh, Patake. Like, yeah. literally, she, she did a. Too. She no, but well, she might be. I don't know. I'm seeing it, but uh, she did an action film for Netflix called Interceptor, which is a not a good film in terms of like it's kind of like quite silent in a lot of ways. However, her, she is the lead. And she clearly trained like insanely hard for it because she's pumped in that movie. Like, and she is a really convincing, really good when she's doing the action, proper action star. And it was one of those things where I was like, oh, this is a really like straight to video film, but she's great. I was almost like, Chris, why aren't you getting her in your films? Like, yeah, I think, like, yeah. you know, I didn't team up, yeah. Didn't quite understand. Reboot, yeah. yeah, they, like, trained together for, for that movie, everything like that, and it showed. I was like, get her an Extraction free. Like, yeah, it's like... Oh, yeah. she's Elena in the Fast film. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. She's Elena in the Fast film. That's what she's most yeah, famous five, for. Five, six, seven, and eight. Yeah. Um, outside yeah. being Miss Hemsworth. I mean, they could bring her back from the dead in yeah. Fast films. Yeah. No one ever dies. It's like the modern action stars. I know you've got Gal Dot doing a lot of action, but she doesn't really do it for me. Have you seen Heartstone yet? I have not. I actually haven't. I, I, I haven't. <laughs> yeah, okay. But yeah, it just seems like there's just that move towards geriatric, you know, older, mm. even Sisu, which is like one of my favourite action films of the year. Yes. Um, yeah. It's like yeah. a old dude with a grizzled beard. Is there someone out there with the charisma who maybe hasn't done any action yet? Be like, if you turn to action, you're mm. there. That's interesting. Um, and it's weird because people in their like mid to late 20s now seem that young compared to back in the day not that these guys started that young for most of them but if you were looking at somebody new who was because late 20s isn't young but it's not old either it's yeah. like who are you else? just going to seem too who would I like to see because obviously Bob Odenkirk with nobody just came oh, out yeah. of nowhere that, right? that was like, and, and that's that was great I don't know are they doing a second one to that they the said they were but I don't know whether that's yeah. kind of he didn't he apart. train for like three years to do that first one yeah yeah and he, he he seemed to, I mean he seemed to be up for it and enjoy it but it's one of those things where it was it for, obviously it was a pandemic movie so like it was it made money it was a hit uh, in terms of because it's quite low budget but I don't think sometimes there's those movies where it was a success but it wasn't such an amazing success that it kind of pushes it over the line to be like, we simply must make this film. Like Atomic Blonde, which is wicked, but we've never got Atomic Blonde 2, even though that was, you know, it made money, but it was just like, it didn't seem to set the world on fire in the John Wick way, so we never got the sequel. Yeah. And that kind of seems to be the same way with Nobody. 
I was actually looking through some people who have done like maybe one or two action movies who I was like, why haven't you done more? And Elsa was what I mentioned, obviously Viola, but also in terms of guys, David Harbour. Interesting. David Harbour, because obviously he did Violet Knight. And for me, he is the perfect kind of new, could be the perfect kind of new Bruce Willis-y type of action star where he's a little bit more shabby, but still a big beefy dude. He's a bit grumpy. Like, you know, yeah, he's got... too far. Yeah, he's, I mean, as, as Hopper, you know, he, he's a slugger. And I'd love to see him in a couple of action, but I kind of feel like he's tried it a bit, hasn't t- quite worked, but not because of him. And I kind of... I'm like, come on, Dave. You know you yeah. want to. Like, yeah, like, yeah. Jake Gyllenhaal, he seems to really be going that direction. Obviously, he's back to Roadhouse. Roadhouse. That's, yeah, he's back to the can. And he trained really hard for that. He's massive. And obviously, I loved Ambulance. Ambulance for me is like best Michael Bay movie ever. Like, absolutely incredible. Like, Nick's mm-hmm. shake his head in disgust. <laughs> like, I'm, he, do, I'm just he's... remembering how they made LA bigger than the rest of the letters on the poster. <laughs> like, they thought that was clever. And I was like, <laughs> and you were sitting there going, this I'm, is, I'm also, you're wrong. I'm also remembering, uh, I can't remember if it's the official premise. Did you hear about this? The, the, the screening in, in Leicester Square of Ambulance where. Um, Did Michael Bay crash an ambulance through <laughs> the screen? He might as well have. Actually, he came on and introduced it. And then we started watching the film, and then they stopped the film four minutes in. And we, no, like, no, 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 no. Everyone was like, what's happening? Is there been like a technical malfunction? And then someone comes out with a microphone and announces that Michael Bay has had to pop out for a phone call, but he wants to watch the start of the film with us. So we all sat there while he was on the phone. And then they restarted it from the beginning so Michael Bay could watch it with us, and it was amazing. It was, so, it was I've never experienced that. But um, no, I know, you're mad. <laughs> I mate, it's not I, even in my top five Michael absolutely Bay films. Lo- I've seen every Michael Bay film so like literally like you know I've sat through Transformers the last night so like yeah I feel like I've earned the right and, and so on the second watch I was just like I saw it in cinema and that was a fi- I mean that fucking blew my mind in terms of that was number one he made that for 40 million I was like that's what Bay could do for 40 million that's insane and number two it was the fact that it was a flop I was like, what do you people want? It should have been half an hour short. Look, there's some good stuff about it, yeah. Too many drone shots, too long. Oh, mate, those drone shots, they're the best drone but shots LA, you've ever seen. LA's bigger, because it's in LA. That's, like, it's just so clever. Oh, the practical, actually, I literally, it, for me, it was. Just, I saw it, I was like, this is exactly what I want. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's just, like, amazing. Yeah. But, yeah. JKG, do more yeah. action movies, yep. like, yep. from yep. that. I'm excited to see Havoc. With Tom Hardy. I'm very uh, excited about Havoc if it ever comes out. Gareth Evans, if it ever comes out, but I want to see what that is. And Tom Hardy, obviously, Mad Max Fury Road. So you kind of feel like, again, he's someone who should... He's, like, literally competing in MMA, like, tournaments at the moment. It's like, surely he should be. And that's someone who's got the acting chops and the action chops. I think there's a kind of a snobbiness about now about action, like, people who just do action. I think it's they're seen as lesser... I think back then it wasn't didn't have that kind of shame about it that you have now where it's like now Gerard Butler's just doing action movies mm. so people kind of scoff at him but I think actors now like I don't think Jake Gyllenhaal is ever going to just start making action movies like I think he's no. going he's going to flit about he's going to go back and do something Oscar-y isn't he he's, he's like, going to do something like, yeah it's just like but that's the thing that annoys me in terms of like you say like there was a time where and that's why you know I'll take the Oscars and stuff like that because Stallone would flit around and do weird shit and do the action films 
And to me, that was just the perfect scenario. Because now I get excited when someone who primarily is known for action does something a bit different. Mm. And the other way around, in terms of like someone like Statham, who obviously I, I kind of think out of everyone, the people who are at least trying to follow that treachery, maybe not successfully, but he's probably the Stafe and the Rock in many ways, in terms of they're kind of trying to model themselves What's on interesting that about curve. both of them? Yeah. Statham and The, and the Rock, because um, I'll never call them Dwayne Johnson. But um, what's interesting is they never had a character that connected, that broke out. No. I don't think. Like, in the way that... Chev Chelios? Uh, yeah. <laughs> to an extent. The best <laughs> character they've ever made. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, in the way that Stallone had Rambo and Rocky and he just kept going back to those characters and the way that Keanu has John Wick and like people yeah. just want to see mm. John Wick over and over. But they kind of feel like The Rock and... and, and yeah, and Statham just play the same character, but they have with different character names. Mr. There isn't, there isn't like one reason, thing that's like transcended the rest. Mm. I wonder well, why that is. Well, this is mentioning Keanu. Was we were talking about like shortlist? Was he ever on the shortlist? Just because I'm like, I was kind of looking over my favorite action movies, and I was kind of like, who has starred in the most amazing action movies? <laughs> who isn't actually considered to be? one of the Hollywood action heroes of that year. And it's it's Keanu. Yeah. The Matrix speed. Or Rob Schneider. All, all of Jack. <laughs> he's in the All movie. of the John Wick films. <laughs> like, I mean, like that is genuinely like he's kind of like come along and changed the game. Well, I mean speed it's interesting because do you think that is purely in a post John Wick world? Like if you were talking about this in twenty thirteen before the first John Wick, then you would just have he did speed in the nineties yeah. and Matrix at the end. Yeah. From 2013 is even. I agree, like, but that's the thing. You add John Wick on, and, it and then so it's not. But that's the difference. That it's not that, that he of the character, yeah. suddenly changed his trajectory. It was a case of that was his return yeah. to action, and the fact that he's had three massive, iconic action. I mean, they are franchises, even though he never did a second speed film himself. <laughs> that's amazing. But at the same time, he still doesn't quite fall into I the think, criteria that you set for yourself. I think with Reeves, he has that cruiseness to him in that you know it's him doing all. Like he's yes. he's like fully gun trained and kung fu trained from years back, and he's just honing it in every John Wick. And he's point seeing, break. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. How is that not a franchise? How is there not a Point Break two about them? Yeah, I mean, wow. there's been a remake, but not. not but they, I swear, they were trying to make a Point Break two. While Swayze was still alive. Really? Pretty sure. Yeah. Pretty sure they did try. But yeah, no, I've been listening to a great podcast called 50 Miles Per Hour, which is definitely what it's chronicling the making of speed. And, and he was low down, Keanu was low down the list. Like, it was like Bruce Willis and Die Hard, where people didn't, Charlie Sheen was being considered before mm, he was. Charlie, have you guys seen The Chase? Talking of action movies? Uh, have you ever seen? No, I the have seen Chase. The whole I have seen Terminal Chase. Velocity, which we've discussed. Do you prefer before. that or Drop Zone? Uh, I haven't seen Drop Zone, which is the Snipes, isn't it? Drop Zone's the Snipes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, where he punches Yancey Butler. Uh, <laughs> I have seen Terminal Velocity because Gandolfini plays the bad guy. Yes. And he plays it very well. Mm. And I think it made me enjoy that film probably more than I should have done. Yeah, but, it's terrible. You know. <laughs> the, the Chase of Charlie Sheen and Chris, uh, Christy Swanson co-starring Flea, Anthony Keaton. It's the most 90s. Jeremy. It's the most 1990s <laughs> sentence ever spoken. Um, I have a real soft spot for The Chase. I haven't seen it for a long time, but I remember loving it uh, when I was at school. I used to watch The Chase a lot, and the whole film is a car chase with, yeah, Charlie mm. Sheen and, and uh, Christy Swanson in a car being chased by a whole police force, and um, I remember loving it. I'm going to revisit that one. 
It's one, randomly, I really vividly remember being recommended The Chase by the video shot guy of my local video shot. He one time across the game, he was like, you like action films? Like, you ever seen The Chase? It's like one big chase, the whole film. <laughs> and impressive. I was like, oh, sounds cool. Have you got it? No. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They tried to turn Charlie Sheen into it, and obviously he spoofed Rambo himself. Yeah, um, in Hot Shots. Yeah. Oh, you kind of almost sign yourself out of being an action movie star if you star in the spoofs, right? Like, even though you kind of need someone in the spoofs who's kind of believable as, like, an action star, it's kind of like, well, now you've done the spoofs. Well, Speed kind of would have been like, after Hot Shots and Hot Shots Part Deux, right? Yeah, so, that's true. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. So, actually, they would have been putting him in a very serious role. Yeah, which, I mean... Spoofs. It would have been quite hard to take it seriously, I think. But, you know, no disrespect to... Charlie Sheen uh, at one time he was definitely winning I, I just Hashtag Tiger <laughs> I, I can't imagine him Any, I can't imagine anyone but Keanu in that film hey! I'm a cop what I'm a cop LAPD there's a bomb on your bus there's a bomb on your bus there's a what there's a bomb on your Right, favourite action film oh of God. all time, is it Terminator 2 or is it something else? Because like I said, I was surprised by looking through like my favourite action movies being like, some of them aren't featuring the best action film stars. Mm-hmm. Have you got... Well, i got to say my, my favourite film of all time is Race of the Lost Ark. Um, there is no nothing else it's like that is my favourite film by far is it purely because of the action I don't know there's so much I love about that film but the truck chase I think is probably my favourite action scene in any film I love a chase and just Indy up against the Nazis the horse the van everything mm-hmm. I love that it's it's just perfect um, so that would probably have to be my favourite action movie interesting question though is Raiders an action movie or is it an adventure movie mm. he does some running in it <laughs> He's just running. running. He does some punching. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, it's an action movie. Come on, it's got like, it's come <laughs> on, stuff. He's got a. There's a whole bit where he's just having a punch up with someone. Yeah, know, yeah. I, know, I agree. I get very gunfight. No, it's an action. Movie. I get very hung up yeah. on Sean. Diehard, it's like yeah, yeah. Diehard's no, Diehard's got more action. Yeah, Diehard's action. But you know, there's a lot of standing around making small talk at parties. Well, there's obviously then <laughs> there's, there's like bearabons, comedy it? action, stuff like those things where things start to cross the streams, mm. and then you go like, "What is it, Matt?" Oh God, I mean, it would have to be stuff like yeah, Diehard, Matrix, T two, but also the Raid. I mean, yeah, Raid's hard to beat. Yeah, the Raid is hard uh, to beat. Kill Bill Volume 1 for the finale. In terms of that. Again, is it a samurai uh, movie? Is it actually uh, One of the Mission Possibles, throw that in there. Fallout, Fallout. Fallout, Fallout. yeah, of course. Um, Bond, if you go Bond for action. Casino like, Royale. Yeah, and then Hard Boiled, Police yeah, Story 1. Yeah. Mad Max Fury Road. Yeah. I mean, it is a very versatile genre. That choose, crosses. One. choose one. You choose one. Oh, God. I'll say Raid 1. Say raid one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, because I was yeah I was thinking about this, and the raid is really high up on mine as well. Uh, the Matrix, Speed, Mission Impossible, Fallout, Casino Royale. I mean, again, Casino Royale, Mission Impossible. Then you get into things like are they spy movies? Are they more? Mm-hmm. With those, I kind of think the spy genre. It's kind of like a thing of 
there are spy films that are spy films and there are spy films that are more leaning into action movie which happen to be about spies weirdly Mission Impossible as a franchise crosses that genre because the first one the Brian De Palma one I wouldn't call that an action movie I'd call it a spy movie which has some action sequences whereas Fallout that's an action movie that is an action movie and it is one of the best action movies ever made I mean, the new one, uh, Dead Reckoning Part 1, if yep. you look at the if you break it down, it's actually not got that much action in it. It hasn't, but that ending is so action high point. Yeah. I mean, Uncharted 2 did it slightly better. But... Oh, yeah, you're right. You're weird <laughs> thing about Uncharted 2. Do you know about this? Do you yeah. agree? Yeah. Yeah, it's very much. I'm not a gamer, so I don't know. So, Uncharted 2 starts and ends with yeah. it's bookended by this amazing action sequence involving a train. Right. And yeah, it's got a lot of the same beats. And I don't know, it just it was very much yeah, it's in really carriage before but it drops off. It's not just me. Like well. the uh, one of the the co-creators of the Uncharted things tweeted about it, and um, then Macquarie got asked about it, said he didn't know anything about it. But yeah, I'm <laughs> <laughs> nice. nothing about it. Oh I don't know. Like, yeah, he probably doesn't have time to sit down and play Uncharted. But too. did they both just rip it off from Police Story Free Supercop? Uh, no. No, no. <laughs> this is specifically the a carriages the off of the carriage. Oh, the dangling carriage. You get through it into the next one before it drops and carry on. Right, because yeah, yeah. well, that is almost, yes, you can imagine that as a game yeah. style thing. It's very like, it's like um, the start of the game, you're literally dangling off the side of a train. Yeah. On, on, uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I genuinely found that actually was absolutely astonishing. Seeing it in BFI IMAX, I was just literally jaw on the floor watching the grand piano about to fall on Tom yeah, Cruise just it, incredible right uh, I'm stalling for time let me have a look through here so uh, Jingle All The Way Jingle All The Way is the best one no, like, um, uh, <laughs> that was down as my underrated Arnie by the way controversial Jingle All The Way <laughs> Jingle All The Way baby are you okay yeah, I, I'm, I'm okay have you ever seen Jingle All The Way at the Prince Charles at Christmas that's what I've got to ask you now. because if you do it will change your life and you'll be laughing up roaring in the scene where he has a vision of his son dressed as the villainous postman drinking like it is incredible have you seen put the cookie down the kind of the have you heard of this well i've seen the classic put the cookie down scene made a very funny internet video based around that sample right Right. i'll play it to you after you you must must. (laughs) yeah yeah, it sounds amazing um yeah i mean terminator 2 is obviously incredible. Die Hard is obviously incredible. The Raid. Oh my God. Like, I think I think in terms of what's dear to my heart, maybe Terminator 2, but maybe The Matrix as well. Because The Matrix, I've got to say, The Matrix, seeing that in the cinema when it came out, I never remember my fingers sweating yeah. in cinema so much. And I think because no one knew what was coming with The Matrix, like literally there was, people forget there was no hype around that film. Everyone was just kind of like, Keanu's star yeah, was slightly on the way. Made in Australia. Yeah, 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 yeah. No one cared. And then suddenly saw it and was like, oh my God, this changes the game. So maybe I'll go with The Matrix. Amazing action, big ideas. Yeah. Much like on Deadly Ground. Yeah, it's yeah, lot, and no things. sequels to ruin it. Like you know, yeah. they just did one, and they went out on a high. Like just in- incredible, yeah. incredible. Yeah, Nick, thank you so much for yeah. joining us. We genuinely good chat all night. I think about action movies. Oh, yes, yeah. uh, there is so much stuff that we haven't covered. But I kind of think that's the best way because, dear listeners, if you want more, just go out and buy Jeez. a copy. 
of Nick's amazing book, Last Action Heroes. It comes out in the UK on... August 24th. In Thursday, Cobalt. August 24th. It's already out in the US, so you can either pre-order a copy now or just order a copy now to get delivered to your door straight away. And to be honest, by the time this episode comes out, you'll be able to buy it everywhere. It's fine. Forget the pre-ordering. You'll be able to go out to Waterstones to a real actual bookshop and pick it up. There is an audio version as well. Wow. Very excited. Uh, the Bronson Pinchot, uh, there's Beverly Hills Cop connection there. Um, ah. Serge, he is read reading. What? what, what? Serge from Beverly Hills Cop reads the audio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Does yeah. he read it in Serge's voice? Uh, sadly not. I can specify that, but he didn't follow that instruction. He does a very, very nice job of it, and I'm very excited that he that he does it. He does a lot of audiobooks. He's very, very good at it. That is, well, yeah, I can imagine. He's obviously clearly talented voices, so yeah, I can imagine that. But seriously, go out and buy the book. I've, I've been lucky enough to read it, and it is brilliant. If you're an action fan, it's the book you've been waiting for all your life. Literally, the new action movie Bible. And if you're someone who just wants to get into action movies more, you're just a movie fan who just wants to create a huge letterbox list of films to watch, then it's also great. Yeah, imagine being that new mid-teen film fan getting into it now. And we, ha- you know, when we were growing up, there was it was happening at the time. The history was there, but it was also happening. Now it's already 20, 30 years ago. What a way to get into it and, like, nowhere to head as well. Yeah, I know. I can't even imagine. Yeah, if you're a young young man, you love, like, Stafer movies or something like that, then, yeah, check out where yeah. it all began and track it down. Nick, where can we find you online? Well, thank you guys so much. This has been a lot of fun. I am uh, perpetually on Twitter, or shall I say X. I cannot get used to saying I'm, I'll, I'll see you on X. Um, it just sounds a bit seedy, doesn't it? Yeah, but, uh, probably is. I'm, I'm on Fred's, kind of. I've posted twice and I'm on Instagram but um, you can find me in Empire Magazine every month writing about stuff yeah, right. yeah. I mean, you're saying writing about stuff because right now we don't know <laughs> with the uh, way the uh, industry is going although we can only hope by the time this episode comes out that maybe the studios have come to their collective minds and sealed a deal, a fair deal, mm-hmm. with the yeah. writers and actors, yeah. maybe. Yeah. That'd be Studios good. sort it out, uh, pay people, and then we won't have to do a Chuck Norris cover. It's <laughs> <laughs> a very real possibility. Yeah, I mean, you could just be like, look, guys, there's there's nothing there's nothing to go on the cover, so I think the only answer is exclusive <laughs> with a particular writer I happen to know. It's <laughs> <laughs> an info shoot. Just Empire could be a reality. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, yeah it's, it's... And there is a letterbox list somebody has kindly put together oh, a letterbox list of every film mentioned in the book it's some very abs- obscure ones uh, apologies for that but if anyone manages to watch all of them let me know because that would be a true feat incredible yeah I actually made my own little letterbox list of films uh, it, in no way comprehensive but movies mentioned that I was like I haven't seen that want to check it out or I want to rewatch it which I've gradually been like mm-hmm. knocking off from research for this podcast. I've so, already yeah. added the chase to my watch list. Wow. In the course of this conversation. <laughs> Amazing. So you can find us at Spotlight Pod, at Instagram, X, X. and <laughs> Facebook. And yeah, I mean, this has been an absolute delight. Yeah, so not as 
many Star Trek connections as maybe they usually would be. We'll also say Executive Decision directed by Stuart Baird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, I'm loathe to say, but the (laughs) director of the worst Star Trek film ever officially by our ranking, which you can still hear. <laughs> so I feel like go. Patrick Stewart must have played... You know, conspiracy Theory, he's the bad guy, right? He's the bad he's, guy in yeah, Conspiracy he's, Theory, yeah. He's a good action movie villain. Yeah, oh, 100%. Yeah, I, I, I like Conspiracy Theory, which we will be covering on the podcast at some point. I actually wanted to cover it when Dick Donner sadly passed away, but we ended up covering Inside Moves because when we interviewed him... That was the film that he was like, of all the films I've directed, I wish more people could see. It was Inside Moves. But Conspiracy Theory, also very good. Peace, you should play more Hollywood bad guys. Yeah. And he did in Green Room, which yes. we covered with Chris Hewitt yes. on this podcast. It all comes full circle. It all comes full circle. <laughs> but until next time, yippee ki motherfuckers. Yippee-ki-yay, motherfuckers.